All right. Thank you, worship team, for leading us. That uh, song we talk about, God is able, um, you know, there's times that in our Christian journey when it's difficult to, to experience or to believe when you face some difficult things or challenges and even tragedy. And uh, this morning we, we need to uh, take a moment just to pray as we did have um, a tragedy happen with some of our missionaries who serve um, in Central Asia. Uh, this last week their 29-year-old son had kind of a sudden um, heart failure and passed away. And uh, so we want to take just a moment to pray for the Metzgers who've been, uh, we don't see them often, but they're very much a part of our family and our community here and people that we've supported for many years. And um, so join me as we just pray for them as they kind of are grieving right now as well as remembering the life of their sons. God, we, uh, we don't always understand what you're up to. And uh, there's times, God, when, when uh, the weight of real life is, sometimes feels like too much. And so uh, right now, this morning, God, we stand with our friends, uh, the Metzgers, who are faithfully serving you in, in a dangerous part of the world, who love you, who are, have sacrificed so much uh, of their own family to serve you. And uh, we pray for them this morning that the peace that surpasses all understanding would guard their hearts. And God, we know that uh, praying for understanding is maybe impossible, but the peace that surpasses understanding this morning is what we ask for in their lives. Uh, We thank you for their time with their son. We thank you for their amazing attitude that they have um, regarding this tragedy. We pray that you'd walk with them and give them a a tremendous amount of comfort and uh, let their son's life... uh, Be remembered well and as an example to others of what it means to follow you and to experience this life that you've given. So we lift them up right now, Lord, as we um, stand with them from the other side of the country. And uh, we love you, God. In your name, amen. If you do know the Metzgers, I encourage you to write a little note or something for them. They uh, have amazing attitude um, as it relates to this right now. And by their own admission, they said when the shock wears off, they're going to have to process through a little bit more. But they, uh, they are grateful for the years with their son. And they're, they're, again, an example to us of how to handle this. But if you know them, feel free to send them a little uh, note and a card of encouragement and let them know that you're standing with them. And really, if you are new to the church world, uh, this is one of the reasons why we gather together. This is one of the reasons why we journey together because sometimes life is tough and there's a lot of difficult things that we go through and we believe that because of our God and we serve together that we are part of a family and when things like this happen, we walk together. So that's, that's kind of why we like to gather together and, and, and journey uh, with one another. In light of that, you do have some people around you who are part of our family and community and want to just take a couple uh, moments and turn around and just say ha- hello to one another here. And if it's someone you haven't met, greet them.
All right. Well, you have all made it here this morning. This is uh, our final day that we're studying the book of Joshua. It's Joshua chapter 24. So everyone who's here this morning, you get credit for the entire series. So congratulations. Uh, And uh, so... We're glad, we, we've really enjoyed this series and kind of looking into a book that isn't often studied, uh, especially in the context of a Sunday morning series, but hopefully you've enjoyed it. We certainly have, uh, but it is now over and some of you will enjoy the fact that today is the last day of that, so there you go. But either way, um, as we end here, we're going to do something a little different, a couple different things. This week, uh, I, I know the book of Joshua may have brought up some questions for you. Maybe as you have been looking through or processing, you've had some things that have come up, you went, wait a minute, I want to know more about whatever that might come up. So this week, uh, Pastor Dale and I are going to actually answer some of those questions in the form of a podcast. I know, welcome to the 90s. And so we are going to uh, uh, record a podcast to answer your questions um, if you have any questions that have come up. So you can... I did not prepare this, but if you, you could text in your questions to that number, I don't even know where that goes to, but someone will get those questions to us. If, if, so let's get that text in number up there. See, put them on the spot. Um, and I have, like, just to get the, the thoughts flowing, if anyone has any questions, we have like a couple minutes, I'll answer maybe one of them unless it's too hard right now. So does anyone, I know because someone brought something up earlier, but anyone have a question from the book of Joshua to get our thoughts thinking of what we'd want for the podcast that you want to ask right now on the spot, unprepared? No? This will be an easy podcast. Yeah. No. You're not supposed to ask. Texting your question to seven <laughs> seven six oh nine. <laughs> That's a big one. We'll have to answer that one on the podcast. You can ask, ask that one. The idea of why has evil not been exterminated? You should know better. No, <laughs> that one is a little too long, probably for the context of today. Any others? I know there was a group that had one, and they said they were going to ask it this morning, but. That's okay. So some of the questions I know that might come up, and we'll answer them on the podcast, is some people have asked, um, explain a little bit more about the idea of, of a loving God, removing people from a land, that might be a question, um, or even the, I explain, explaining a little bit of the theology of land and why Israelites there, and what does that have to do with today. So if you want to know any of those kind of questions, you can ask them. If you don't, don't ask them, and then we won't answer them. But... Uh, <laughs> But those are good, those are questions that often come up with this. And so we will upload that podcast by the end of the week. But so if you do have questions, text them in and we will do our best to answer them and, and have that recorded for you. All right? Good. Well, that was easy. Okay, so let's pray as we get started here with Joshua chapter 24. God, I thank you. Uh, I thank you for this book. I thank you for the story of your history of, of your people And God, how you continue to show up and shine time and time again with them. And uh, the way that you've led your people and as you lead us even to this day, God, that um, we pray that we could find application for our lives. And we pray that this would be about you. And so this morning, God, as we wrap up the book of Joshua, allow us to do this in a way that honors you. So we give you this time now. Amen. 
invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Joshua, chapter 24. Now, the book of Joshua, in chapter 24, we're going to take a look at that today. And in this chapter, what we find is what is called a covenant ceremony. Now, this is a classic, classic example of a covenant ceremony from the ancient Near Eastern world. It's almost word for word an exact formula of what these ceremonies would look like in almost all the cultures of the ancient Near East. And a covenant ceremony, so you can know, is basically it's a ceremony that either begins an agreement between two parties or, in this case, reaffirms an agreement between two parties. Now this particular covenant ceremony that we're looking at today was a very typical one that usually related to uh, often it would be a, a monarchy or, or a powerful king and the vassal kingdoms under him. So someone who had less power reporting to the king that was over all the land or the empire. Sometimes we see it with gods and people, but in this case, certainly, it is between the creator God, Yahweh, as described through, through the Hebrew scriptures, and the people of Israel. So he functions here as kind of the king over all, and they are the subjects who report to that king. And so a covenant ceremony is when that agreement between these two parties takes place. And in Joshua chapter 24, we see an exact replica of what these ceremonies should possess or what happens in a ceremony. So this morning, as we go through the ceremony, or we're going to study it, we want to actually participate in a modern form of the same ceremony. So those of you who like to take notes, You might notice, and the notes today are not notes, they're actually questions that will walk you through the ceremony and the types of things that they would think through. Now these these covenant ceremonies were done to reaffirm the relationship between the two parties, and they marked the beginning of a new era. So whenever there was a covenant ceremony, it was saying this is essentially like the opening ceremony for a new era or a new existence between these two parties. Even if it's just reaffirming this covenant, it's saying as we reaffirm the covenant, we recognize that now we enter a new phase in our relationship. We see this happen throughout Scripture. We see it when God first calls Abraham and his family. There's a covenant ceremony. Inaugurates a new era. When the Israelites are led out of slavery into e- or out of Egypt, they perform this Passover ritual, which is a form of a covenant ceremony that inaugurated a new era of freedom. And now they're in the land. The land is settled. They've already agreed once to follow the laws and and. and make themselves subject to Yahweh. And now here we are, as they're settled in the land, and they reaffirm their agreement to follow the Creator God, but it begins a new era. The new era is, you now have the land that I promised you. We see forms of this as well in Christ. In in the Last Supper, there's some elements of a covenant ceremony, and Jesus... uh, saying what it means to be his follower and what it will look like and the agreement to be a follower of Jesus and then the ceremony was confirmed. So this happens throughout all of Scripture and it always meant it's a beginning of a new era. So let's think of that today. Now there's four things that happen in a covenant ceremony. We're just going to say them quickly. One, there's the assembling of the people. That one's probably most obvious and easy. The next one is retelling of the history or the mighty acts of 
usually it's the history and the mighty acts of that superior king, in this case, of God. So you'd retell the story of how that God or how their God has been faithful to them. The third step there is you reaffirm your allegiance. So you say, yes, we agree to follow, we agree to whatever the agreement is. And this is where throughout Hebrew scriptures we see them reaffirm that they are willing to follow the laws of God. And that's very much a part of these ceremonies. Also, kind of a subset of that third point is there's usually a series of if you fulfill your obligation, this is, these are your blessings. If you do not fulfill your obligation, this is what will happen to you. So every ancient Near Eastern covenant, there's a, a portion of it that says blessings and curses. It has to be in there for it to make sense to, in their culture. And then finally, there's some sort of celebration. Sometimes the celebration was a sacrifice. Sometimes it was a big party, some sort of festival, uh, or they'd set up a memorial or something like that. So those are the four steps that we are going to look through today, and we'll find that they are right here in the Scripture. So let's look in Joshua chapter 24. And in verse 1 it says, Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. Okay, there's step one. Assembled the people. Okay? We're flying through this. Let's move on to step two. <laughs> There's not much to say there. You figure it out. Okay, so step two. Let's jump down to verse two. And this is retelling the history and the story. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, From ancient times your father lived beyond the river. This is talking about the Euphrates River. Namely Terah, who was the father of Abraham. So he's saying, Your great, 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 great grandfather and his family, Terah, the father of Abraham, the father of Nahor, they lived and they served other gods. goes on to say, Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river, and I led him through the land of Canaan, and multiplied his descendants, and gave him Isaac. So right away we see here that he, he begins with their history. And I want to ask you a question to start with here today. And if you have your notes, you can write in there or think through it for later. You'll also, if your life group does a sermon-based groups, so you'll process through this with your group this week. But the first question to ask you is simply this, is where did your journey with God begin? What are some of your gods that existed before you followed? Now for some of you, this is pretty easy and obvious, right? Some of you go, oh, clearly I know when my journey began, and I know who my gods were. My gods were money, power, sex, uh, materials, uh, materialism, it was me, whatever it might be. Some of us know clearly what our gods were before we were followers. Some of you are here today and you say, well, I'm still not a follower. And, and so I want you just to process through, wow, what are the things that I kind of serve and live for in my life today? And process through that. Now, some of you might say, I only know a life of following Christ. I don't know a time before. Because I grew up as a, as a Christian. I was a young child. I don't know a before. Well, notice here, in this story, the before was many generations before the Israelites. He's saying, don't forget that I, you have a legacy of faith. So for some of you, you say, oh, I don't have a great story. I don't have a big before moment. You do. You were born into a family that introduced you to Christ. For whatever reason, God has been working with your family for generations. That's a great story. So maybe for you, your before moment wasn't even in your lifetime. But for some reason, God set up the situation to bring you to this point of faith. For some of you, maybe today, 
You say, I don't have a before moment, but why are you here this morning? God, for some reason, got you here. And it probably wasn't because you like to get up early on Sunday mornings. <laughs> but you're here. And God's reaching out and calling to you. So we, it begins with start to remember the, your history. So think of that, of your story before you were a follower. The next step there, when he starts going, and, and he just talked about, so he called your family when they were, not, they were serving other gods. Then he says to Isaac, I gave Jacob and Esau unto Esau to possess it. And Jacob went down to Egypt. Verse 5, they were in, he kind of skips some of the story. He goes, then I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt by what I did in its midst, and afterward I brought you out of Egypt. So he's kind of fast forward through this story. But the next question for, for us today is, what are the moments along the way of your spiritual journey where your faith became real or your belief in God was confirmed? What are those moments? Were they some tragedies that you faced? Were they great blessings that you experienced? What are the moments that you look back and say, this is why I believe? Because whatever happened. Sometimes we don't even know what those moments are until we look back and we say, oh, maybe that was because of this. I know for me, I, I became a Christian. I was in high school, and I was living in St. Louis. And my dad was in the army, so we were always moving. And I became a Christian my sophomore year of high school. And by the end of the year, I started getting involved in, in, in youth groups, started meeting other Christian friends. And then we moved from there to Seattle. And I look back and I think, God, that was really poor timing. Because <laughs> I just started getting to know other Christians. I just started this journey of faith. Why would I move now? And I don't really know all the reasons, but I do know that through a series of events, then I went there and, and some of my friends, uh, I met some Christian friends there who kind of got excited about their faith. And my wife, um, not at the time, but she became uh, a Christian uh, through those friends, and, and so I ended up with a great-looking uh, Christian girl to marry. So I think, you know, if it's that alone, that was a pretty smart move by God. So, but when I look at things like that, I think, could it be that maybe God had this figured out ahead of time? I even remember bef before I became a Christian, we had an opportunity to move again. You know, we were living in St. Louis for like a year, and my dad said, hey, we're getting transferred. And for whatever reason, he decided not to take the promotion. He said, forget it, we'll just stay. Could it have been that moment that whatever happened, God prompted my dad to say, let's just stay a little longer. And through a series of events, then I was introduced to Christ. You don't know. But when you look back, there's a lot of, oh, that makes a lot more sense now, doesn't it? Now, some of us will probably live the rest of our lives and still have those question marks, though. God, I'm still waiting for you to explain that one. Okay? That's okay. That's part of faith in the journey. But so what are some of the moments for you along the way where your belief in God was confirmed? Let's pick it back up in Joshua chapter 24. So the next step there, um, in verse 8, says this, So I, I brought you out of Egypt, then I brought you into the land of the Amorites who lived beyond the Jordan. They fought with you. I gave them into your hand, and you took possession of their land when I destroyed them before you. And then he goes on to talk about Balak, this prophet who tried to curse them, but he couldn't. He actually ended up blessing them. But the journey there, he starts talking about, you lived among the Amorites who were serving foreign gods. In fact, there is even a story of the Israelites, many of them kind of being 
um, seduced by these foreign gods and participating in some of their cultic prostitution. But so the question along the way there is, what are some of the struggles, some of the gods in the land that you currently wrestle with or that you have wrestled with? What is part of your faith journey? What are some of the things that you kind of have wrestled with or you struggle through? That's part of your story. And think of this as, how have you grown through these struggles? Sometimes when we look at these, I know you think like, God, I, I, I don't know why I have this. Why, why can't I become a follower of Christ? And then you erase any sort of temptation or struggle or pride or sense of self that I have. Why? But that's part of our story. It's part of our journey. God's showing up through that. I love the way Paul writes in Romans chapter 5. He tries to explain a little bit. We have the verse for you up here. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5, says this, Not only this, but we exalt in our, in our tribulations or in our trials, our struggles, we knowing, knowing that these bring perseverance. And perseverance brings proven character, and proven character brings hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God's been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's given it to us. See, even in these moments, these kind of Difficult times, maybe struggles with sin, maybe struggles with just realities of real life, that these are the times that God uses to shape us and to help us grow. And as we grow, we understand more and more what hope is. And do we live in a world that could use a little bit of hope? (laughs) The answer is yes. And as we understand hope more and more, then we understand how much God has poured out for us. See, Paul says these are the things that are shaping us. Think of our story with God. Think of the Israelites pulled out into the desert and wandering. They wandered for 40 years. And the word, anytime you have 40 in Scripture, it means a significant period of time of severe testing. Think of all the 40s in Scripture. It means God was testing and challenging and, and stretching people. He was shaping them. He's saying, I want you to, be, to really come to an agreement of what you, who you live for. I want you to understand how powerful I can be. And understand that life isn't just going to happen. So we all still struggle. So what are some of those struggles that you have? What are the gods that you wrestle with? I know uh, for me, we, you know, we have three kids. and I think, yeah, three. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, from kindergarten to eighth grade, and as a parent, and any of you who are parents uh, could probably relate, but often, maybe sometimes our struggles aren't something like very obvious. The gods in the land aren't something obvious, but how many of us as parents, the God in the land is ourselves when it relates to our kids? When we want to go and enter in and be God for them and make them make the right decisions, Make them follow Christ. Make them never struggle. We want to be God, and when they go off to school, we see enough about tragedies that have happened to schools. We want to be God and say, I'm going to go there and put a protective hedge around that school to protect my kid. When my kid goes out and and gets in the car with someone else, I want to be God and, and make sure they're safe. Any other parents relate to that? So the God sometimes that we serve is the God of me, I want to be God. Or maybe this, as a parent. Sometimes my kids are my gods. Now, we all know that we're their servants, of course, but I mean, sometimes we elevate them to the point 
of where we're almost worshiping them. We want everything in life to make, you know, it, it revolves around their lives. I'm even, I, I uh, coach Little League here in Encinitas, and it's funny how even with something like that, we can elevate. Uh, last night, Sarah and I hung out with the other coaches in the league. We thought we'd do it before the first game started because we still like each other. And, um, but even there, you know, talking with each other, and so how's practice going? How are you doing? And there's like this sense of, yeah, but I want my team and my boys to just destroy you. <laughs> And something as small and little as coaching Little League, I realize that it's so easy to elevate that to something way more important than it needs to be. You start to find identity in that, and you think, man, if they don't win, man, then these 10-year-olds didn't win. Wow. (laughs) Life is really different now. (laughs) But isn't it funny how we elevate certain things to the status of my life becomes about that? It's ridiculous, but we do it all the time. So maybe the gods you struggle with aren't really obvious gods like addiction and things like that. Maybe they're the the more difficult gods to struggle with. The ones that are very subtle. The ones that you serve more than anything. Through that, how is God shaping you and challenging you and growing you? As we learn to trust and say, you know what, my kids ultimately are in His hands, not mine. My kids, I have to step aside and quit serving myself and thinking I need to be all-powerful. I need to learn to trust that God has them in His hands, whatever that means. I hate that. <laughs> I'd rather take control. But that's that process of growth. The Israelites had to learn to say, God, you are in control here. We will not serve the foreign gods. As the journey went on, uh, as the story goes on here, uh, another question there then would be, let's look in uh, verse 11 through 13. He continues to tell the story. He says, you crossed over into the Jordan. This is now the book of Joshua. You crossed into the Jordan River and you fought against Jericho. And I gave them into your hands. Verse 12, I sent the hornet before you and drove out the two kings of the Amorites from before you, not only by your sword or your bow, Check out verse 13. I gave you a land on which you had not labored, cities which you had not built. You've lived in them. You are eating of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. So God says, okay, the the story to this point, Joshua, is now you entered the land and God says, I gave that to you. I asked you to join into the land that I promised to you. And I led you there. And I gave you this moment. And, And I want you to notice something though. He even recalls Jericho. He says, I gave you Jericho. You didn't have to fight. The walls came down. I did that for you. But here's where I want to kind of bring something up of this whole story of Joshua. Throughout the story, we keep seeing God move, right? We keep seeing that God's the one who who tore down the walls. He parted the waters. He allowed them to have victory. God was the story, the, the hero of the story in the book of Joshua. But please do not mistake one thing the story of the book of joshua was god saying i'm going to move but i'm inviting you as my people to participate in the story with me you are on mission with me see when he ends the story here and says i brought you into the land he brought them into the land because they said yes we will go we will go see there's two errors that we can really make there's probably many errors but two errors on this 
when we think about God moving that we can make. One is this, that we can think that somehow God is up there saying, oh, I'm so glad Ryan's my follower. What would I have done without Ryan? Whew. Ryan, I thank you for following me. This world is so much better because of that. We can make the error to think that God is up there like going, I couldn't have done it without you. And we think that we can somehow earn more and, and, and work our way to salvation and we can somehow prove to God how great we are and we can advance the kingdom of God single-handedly because we are so great and so smart. We can make the error to think if our church has the right worship music and the, and the right preaching, which we do, and all those other great things that will grow and will change the world because we are so great. We can make that mistake that all of a sudden we start to think we're doing it. All on our own. But the other error you can make, because we actually don't believe that here. We believe that God is the star. That He is the one who moves. That the power of the Holy Spirit is beyond anything we can do. We can't do what God, Christ has already done for us. We participate with Him. But the other error that we can make is just to say, it's all about God. He's so great. He does everything. He's on mission. We can just sit here read our Bible on Sunday morning and go throughout our days and we don't have to participate in the mission because He's so big. And that's an error as well. It's a misunderstanding of Scripture. From the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, God invites the people. He says, this is the mission. I'm going to work, but I'm inviting you to participate. See, in the book of Joshua, He says, I've done all these things. Don't start to be too impressed with yourselves. But also don't forget that you said, yes, we choose to join with you in the mission. See, there's a balance there of recognizing that God is the one who's powerful. We can't earn anything from Him. But He, doesn't, he hasn't paid the price for us to sit on our couch and watch Him work. That's not how it works. And that's not what we see in the book of Joshua. So the question I have for you is, how are you joining in the mission of Jesus? What is your attitude towards that? Again, let's look at the Apostle Paul. I love this. Could you say this, what he writes in Philippians chapter 1? Could this be your attitude? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor, labor for me. I don't know which to choose. I'm hard-pressed from both directions, having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is much better. Yet, I'll remain in the flesh is more necessary for your sake. In other words, Paul's saying, it would be great to be in heaven with Jesus right now and not have any struggles. Anyone ever feel that way? Just go, you know what would be a great thing right now is just be hanging out in heaven. And Paul said, that of course would be better. But I know that as long as I live, my whole life is wrapped up in living for Christ because he's called me to mission. He hasn't called me to wait for heaven to come. See, you are not saved only for a future date in heaven. You're saved to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth now and to participate. Can we say, yes, God, we join with that mission? That's what we're called to. We're not called to just wait for that day. All right. Wow, you got me preaching now. Okay. Let's go to the third step of a covenant. So the covenant ceremony, you start, you assemble together, and then you retell the history and the mighty acts of God. And you see how he has acted and how he's moved, how he's even invited you on mission. And you can say, oh, that's why this is happening. And then in verse, th or the third step, which begins in verse 
14 of Joshua chapter 24 is the affirmation of your allegiance. It says, therefore, Joshua says this, because of this history we just talked about, fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond uh, the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. I love this. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you serve, whether the gods of your fathers served which are beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. A very famous verse. Many of you probably have it on a plaque somewhere in your house, right? We will serve the Lord. I love this. And I love it coming from Joshua who has given us a consistent pattern throughout his life of choosing to serve God. When the t- of 12 spies who went into the land, 10 of them said, we don't want to go in there. We don't trust that God will lead us. Joshua said, yes, we'll go. I choose to serve the Lord. When he said, let's part the, the Jordan River so I'll part the waters, you just go in. Joshua said, yeah, I choose to believe God will bring us in there. Walk around Jericho seven days without fighting at all and the walls will come down. Joshua says, I choose to believe that you will do this. Joshua gives us a consistent pattern of choosing to say, I will serve the Lord. And he is doing this from a point of integrity when he looks at his people and says, do what you want. My family's going to serve the Lord. He wants to reaffirm that allegiance. And then notice the response here. Verse 16, they said, Far be it from us that we would forsake the Lord our God to serve other gods. For the Lord is the one who brought us out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who did these great signs in our sight, who preserved us all the way through. The Lord drove us out from all the people uh, and even the Amorites who lived in the land. We will serve the Lord for He is our God. So they said, Our allegiance is to the Lord, to Yahweh, the Creator God. This morning, there's a space there for you. Will you write your own proclamation of allegiance to Jesus, whatever that looks like? Will you be able to say, Jesus, I want to serve you. My allegiance is to you. I don't want to serve the gods of this land. I don't want to serve the things that tempt me and and draw me in. I don't want to put my kids on this pedestal or my little league team or, or my 401k or anything else and serve that. God, I choose to be loyal to you and to serve you. Could you write a proclamation to Jesus this morning? For some of you this morning, you might maybe for the very first time say, I'm interested. Maybe today. I don't even know much about this God you're talking about, but I want to serve that God. Maybe for you today, it's just, I don't know what this looks like, but I choose to serve this God you're mentioning. Making a choice to follow Jesus, is, it's not a static choice, one that you just make once. In fact, Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, verse 25, he says, if we are to walk by the Spirit and not in the flesh, or if, then you need to live. If, I'm sorry, if you are to live by the Spirit and not live by the flesh, you need to walk in the Spirit. It was an imperative that means you need to consistently make the choice to follow our God. You can't just say, okay, yeah, I'm a follower, and that's it. You have to consistently make this choice to follow. Now, one more thing here. I, I, Joshua is, you know, I love the ancient Near Eastern writings. I know all of you do. I mean, they're fantastic. <laughs> Verse 19. 
They just said, we will serve the Lord. Of course we will. He's been so good. So here's a great leadership principle. So Joshua says, you will not be able to serve the Lord for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive the transgress- your transgressions or your sins. Thank you. <laughs> he says, choose who you serve. They say, we serve the Lord. And he says, you can't do it. <laughs> you can't do it. Because he's a holy God. Let me just answer a question that might come up right away. Because then he says, for he's a jealous God. Meaning that he does not want to share. He does not want his people to have allegiance to any other gods. Be it the gods of your kids or any of those things we've mentioned. Nothing. He's jealous for your affection and your loyalty to him and him alone. And he says he will not forgive your sins. I want you to just, a quick note, run out of time, but the quick note is this. This is not... When he says he will not forgive your sins, this does not mean that God of the Old Testament is a God who will not forgive if you ever fail. Because it was well understood that we will fail. In fact, what Joshua is saying is you're not able to live up to the standards of a holy God. Know that right now. You can't do it. He's too holy. He's set apart. But now the Old Testament or the Hebrew Scriptures, actually all throughout Scripture, the idea of being holy is set apart. But when you profane something that's holy, that's to take that thing and make it common. And he says, don't take the name of God and make it common. God doesn't want to forgive that, but notice this is a word he used for forgiveness. There's a few Hebrew words. The one here, he says, yesa, which is the nasa, is the Hebrew word. This is the Hebrew word that means The forgiveness comes only if you were to put something else in that place. In other words, He will not forgive your sins. In other words, you can't make atonement if you fail to follow your God. On your own, you can't make atonement for it. He will not forgive you based on your merit, is what this means. The word was very specific here. And this is the word that's used in the atonement sacrifice or a scapegoat. Meaning, He's saying, you can't do it. Somebody else is going to have to take your place so you get forgiven. Anyone know what happened? (laughs) Yeah, this is actually a prophecy saying something else is going to have to happen to forgive you because you're going to fail. And then we see the rest of Scripture tell us a story. Even in Isaiah chapter 53, we're not going to turn there but it tells a story of someone else who will intercede for you. It's the Messiah. It's Jesus Christ. See, Joshua said, choose who you'll serve. And they said, we'll serve the Lord. He says, you're going you're gonna to mess that up, I guarantee you. Which most of us go like, yeah, okay. Good, I relate to that. And he says, you can't forgive yourself. You can't, you, just know that somebody else is going to have to pay this price. And the great news for us is we knew the end of the story. As Jesus Christ came about a thousand years, 1,200 years after this moment and he entered into the story and he paid the price for us and said, okay, now you can be forgiven. Now all of those failures and your future failures and all the things that you've tried to do on your own and you just can't do it, guess what? It's finished and accomplished on the cross of Christ. It's done. And the final step of this Covenant ceremony is some sort of festival or sacrifice or something. And in this case, in Joshua chapter 24, 
we see that Joshua, he said, you can't follow. They said, no, 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 we will. We, we choose to follow. So Joshua said, okay. Verse 25, Joshua made a covenant with the people and made, them, made for them a statute and an ordinance. And he wrote on these words a book of the law of God and he took a large stone and he set it up there under the oak tree by the sanctuary of the Lord. Verse 27, he said, this stone will be a witness against us. For it has heard the words of the Lord which you spoke and it shall bear a witness against you so don't deny your God. They ended their ceremony and Joshua took a large stone. Now on your seats today, you had a small stone. I think it was probably larger than these. And he set it up and said, this is a memorial. Now there was nothing holy or sacred about the rock they set up. It was their, an ancient Near Eastern way of saying, let's conclude the ceremony. This marks our reminder. And I think the symbolism we have as Christians is a sign of a cross, isn't it? Now, the Romans used the cross as a sign of dominance over any rebellion. If you were to die on a cross, it says, let this happen to anyone else who rises up against Rome. So Jesus dies on the cross, and then he raises again, and the first Christians say, this sign of failure is now the sign of victory over death, over sin, once and for all. This is our symbol. And what we're going to do, I'm going to invite the worship team on up. And as we conclude our time here with a couple songs, I'm going to ask you to do something. If, you're cho- if you today say, I choose to serve the Lord, we're going to ask you during these final two songs to take your memorial stone and to walk up here to the cross and pile it at the foot of the cross. God has made the covenant. He's done the work. We can't do anything. But this is just an outward sign for us today to say, God, let this be a reminder that I want to follow you. And this is not saying, my rock over here means I'm perfect from now on. (laughs) This is our way of saying we want to remember. We want to remember. So as we continue or conclude our time with a couple of songs in worship, take a moment to consider your story. And if you want to set a memorial stone, feel free to do that. If you're uncomfortable doing that or you say today, I'm not sure yet, you don't have to do it. No one's going to watch. No one's keeping score. No one's keeping track. But let's just have a memorial today to say, God, we thank you for inviting us in on this and that you've done the work. We choose to follow. Okay, pray with me. God, we thank you for this whole book of Joshua and the story of how you led your people, how you fulfilled your promises, how all your words came true. And I pray this morning, God, that um, as we choose to be loyal to you and to follow you, that you give us the courage to do so, that you meet us there in our failures, that you lift us up when we can't do it on our own. And God, that you would allow us to join with you in seeing this world change. And this morning as we place our rocks at the foot of the cross, it's our sign of the covenant you've already made with us, God is saying we are grateful and we choose to follow. So I pray that you continue to move with us in this place.